Welcome to Student Talk, an official podcast from the Australasian College of Paramedicine. Each episode, we discuss hot topics, ideas and tips for paramedic students just like you, hustling to enter the dynamic world of out-of-hospital medicine. And now, here is your host for the day. Please enjoy. Hi, you're listening to Student Talk. I'm Jonathan. With me today is Nick. And today we are interviewing Eric Gervais, a seasoned US medic from Pennsylvania. Eric, uh, did I say your last name right? And how are you going? Close enough. Uh, It's Gervais. It's going pretty good. Fantastic, mate. So um, I guess we might just start if you can maybe tell us a bit about yourself. So where you're from, uh, where you currently work, and how long you've been doing it is what you do. Uh, I'm Eric Gervais. I'm from Northwest Pennsylvania, Northwest Pennsylvania in the U.S. Uh, I've been a paramedic now for a little over a year. I've been involved with EMS and public safety as a whole. Uh, April will be 18 years actually coming up on. So I'll be doing this for about 18 years in another two months. Yeah, fantastic. So it's a, it's a pretty, pretty long career. Yeah, I guess you mentioned that you've been a paramedic for, for one year. Um, what were you doing before your current role? So I, I don't know what you guys have over there. Um, there's in the U.S. anymore, there's an intermediate level, if you will, between the EMT and the paramedic. It's uh, called an advanced EMT. Um, I was at prior to going to medic school during COVID, conveniently enough. Um, and like I said, I got my medic last January of 2020. Or 2021, rather, I'm sorry. Medic class was during 2020 and then passed the medic during January of 2021. Awesome. Um, so uh, 18 years, obviously, in, you know, um, emergency is is a long journey. Um, can you give us a bit of a rundown on the pathway from, like, from 18 years ago to now? <laughs> uh, so just, just briefly. I joined, sure. I uh, joined a volunteer fire department over here in the States um, when I was about 15 I, from there, I got my emergency responder. At the time, it was called a first responder. Um, U.S., we developed the National Registry Standard of it's now the emergency responder. Um, after that, I got my emergency medical technician when I was 17. Um, kind of kept it ever since, been involved, been running with the fire departments from a volunteer standpoint. Um, I moved to Pittsburgh for a couple of years, which is the southwest part of PA. Um, moved down there for a couple of years, did paid EMS. I also worked in uh, one of the emergency rooms down there on the level one trauma centers. From there, that was probably, we'll say six, seven years into being in EMS and fire department from a volunteer standpoint. I also did paid EMS. I went through the police academy back home, um, did some emergency 911 dispatching at my local 911 center. I was there for a few years, um, kind of really just got the itch to get back to EMS, and I've been with the company I'm at now for a little over three years, um, but in between then, it's, I've worked police, fire, and EMS from a paid standpoint. Fire and EMS, I obviously started out from a volunteer standpoint, I mean, that's kind of where my heart is, but um, now I'm doing paid EMS as a paramedic with the company I work with, they're in Northwest PA. 
Um, we do emergencies, so 911 calls. We also do non-emergency transfers and stuff from hospitals to homes and facility to facility, stuff like that. Um, I've been there for about three years at the same place. Okay, so uh, you mentioned 911 dispatching in there um, yes. for a little period of time. Um, so is that is that kind of taking calls and then dispatching um, various services to those calls? So yes. you're, So you're coordinating, you know, potentially police, fire and ambulance all to the same scene? Yes. How crazy does that get? And... <laughs> um, yeah, tell us tell us a bit more about it. So, it, ironically, out of all the jobs, public safety I've worked, that's the job I enjoyed the most. Um, so basically, somebody picks up their phone, they dial nine one for whatever emergency. Um, our biggest thing was get the address because if we don't know where the address is, we clearly can't send help to whoever needs it. Um, so our biggest thing was get the address. Um, we've we've had a lot of emotional callers, a lot of callers who are very blunt, um, ignorant towards a call taker, whatever you want to take. But you start out as a call taker, you get the experience getting the calls, getting the address, getting the nature of the call, whether it's police, fire, ambulance. Um, and then the particular system that we used for our CAD, if you put it in as a medical call, it went to one set of dispatchers, which it our center used three at the time. It's increased since then. Um, and then if you have a police call, you send it over to the police side. The, the fire and EMS side doesn't see it and vice versa. If you have, we'll say, uh, domestic with injuries or a stabbing or a shooting where you need police, you need fire, and you need an ambulance, you have to create a call for both sides. So you put it in as a police side first because the police got to show up and secure the scene. So that's your primary point. You put it in as a police side first. Those dispatchers get the cops going while you're copying the information and putting some medical notes and stuff in. Um, and then you transfer it and it sends over to the fire and EMS guys, whoever's dispatching over there. Um, and then the respective sides dispatch police department usually in front and then the fire department name on stage or they'll go in with pd if it's like an overdose for example that's unresponsive uh, where i work we still send law enforcement with fire and ems for overdoses versus some places they don't do that like city of erie for example is real good about setting police officers to go in with fire and ems mostly just for a responder safety but also at the same time for the law enforcement side to try and get to the bottom of it. Yeah. And then the dispatching side of it, it's interacting with, if you're on the fire side of it, dispatching, you're dispatching those the fire and EMS agencies um, and vice versa for the law enforcement side. If you're on the police side of it, you're dispatching those agencies, whether it's the city or the county police departments, if you're that desk. So it just kind of depends on the individual comm center setup. Um, but where I worked, it was we had two off or two dispatchers dedicated to the city of Erie because of the call volume. And then we had one dispatcher dedicated to the county police departments. And then on the flip side for the fire and EMS, you have one dispatcher that's dedicated to the city of Erie fire department. And then also the ambulance service where I work at now, um, emergency care, 
they're dedicated to dispatching all of those calls. And then you have two dispatchers for the county departments. Yeah, well, wow. I guess it's, uh, it's pretty complex. So I guess the question <laughs> I've, uh, I've got after it all, I mean, it is, you know, so complex and then having, you know, such a good understanding of, of how each service works. Um, I guess, how does that impact your, um, your current practice? So, you know, having a better understanding of how, everywhere else works. Does, does that impact how you provide your care now? It does. And <laughs> ironically, this afternoon, um, and I kind of, in, in a weird way, laughed about it. I don't really want to swear like I normally do, but in a weird way, um, this afternoon, for example, we had a high priority call. It came in basically as a pediatric arrest. Um, the original caller, so the lady who picked up her phone, dialed 911, gave the information to that call taker. She gave a wrong address. It happens um, not very often, but it does happen in the line of work. She gave the wrong address, and we sent one of our ambulances to the address that was given, um, which was about 20 blocks away from where the actual incident took place. So when the call came in, the originally responding ambulance was about 20 blocks away. Um, when the 911 center was able to get the actual correct address and realize the wrong address given by the original caller, um, and they relayed it to my dispatch center because I'm dispatched by my own ambulance services agency, I keyed up and was like, hey, I'm about 12 blocks closer in about 10 blocks away from the actual call. Do you want me to go? So it was kind of an overall, it helps me in terms of knowing the overall picture, but also knowing that callers make mistakes. The 911 call taker makes mistakes. There, there's training in place. There's measures that are in place to try and help alleviate that, but it doesn't always go according to plan. Um, kind of when I realized three more calls were coming in, I was able to key up and say, hey, I'm 12 blocks closer. Do you want me to go when they're a hell of a lot further out than I am? Um, so it kind of worked out really well because it was a better outcome than what could have been. Um, wow, that that just sounds like a, a stressful situation for everyone. <laughs> um, uh, so I guess... All, all, the, all the keys kind of all the pieces kind of fell together today and it worked out really well because it was, it was pretty good teamwork and it was also good communication because our, my comm center's dispatchers kind of realized the severity of what was going on. Um, and they kind of put that as the higher priority. So they shut down because we had some other units trying to get in there with non essential traffic and they were able to shut it down. Um, kind of give ironically me in this case, the priority in terms of radio time. Okay. Um, wow. That's, yeah, that's just such like a hectic call. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, so how, how do you kind of like deal with the mental toll of, of those sorts of big complex jobs? Like when, when things are starting to go wrong, how do you, how do you stay calm in the face of it and just do what needs to be done? I, I mean, I kind of credit to, I've been doing it for 18 years. Um, once upon a time when I started in the volunteer fire department, like I said, about 18 years ago, I, I think a lot of 
and I do some training now where I'm at with my agency. I do some training with new employees. I also do it with new ALS providers. Um, I, I remember when I started in the fire department, like I was gung-ho about learning. I was gung-ho about trying to do things right. And then I kind of got to a point where I was the person who kind of just had the ego about him and the new kid syndrome, if you will. Um, when I moved to Pittsburgh and I did fire public safety down there, fire and EMS, um, it kind of opened my eyes to a, another system B it helped me grow up a lot in terms of the fire and EMS service. So I slowed my roll down basically, if you will. Um, I slowed down, I take a breath and the dispatching also helped me. Like when I was at the 9 center, that helped me a lot as well in terms of casually talking and being clear and concise. And when you're asking for different resources, when you're asking for stuff on scene at an ambulance call, whatever the case is, or a fire call, the 911 call taking actually helped me probably the most along with being in Pittsburgh in a different public safety system because they operate a whole different way down there. Um, and I was able to slow down, say, pause, take a moment and just take a big picture of the scene and go from there. Um, that was probably my biggest helping factor was really just growing up if you're on the fire service. So Eric, what, uh, what kind of brought you to emergency? Um, was it a family connection or just something you really wanted to do? <laughs> so ironically, I had a really good friend of mine in school who got in trouble from the law enforcement side. He got on the wrong side of it, and a judge kind of ordered him to community service. Um, he did his community service at the local fire department, and then he kind of got convinced by them to join, and they were able to kind of help write him on the right path um, in terms of not doing mischief, if you will. So me and him were kind of talking and he was kind of telling me that you get to wear bunker gear and you get to ride the fire truck in the back of the fire truck. And at the time we still had open cabs. So it wasn't all, and I don't know how you guys are over there, but it wasn't enclosed and you still had the open cab. Granted, we had a safety bar in front of us, but you could still ride the tailboard in the pinch. Um, so I was down for it and I'm this. 15 year old kid who's like yeah i want to i want bunker gear i want to get dirty i want to ride a fire truck so i kind of went down with him and joined as a junior member at the time so yeah i guess you know you mentioned obviously getting into it um through a friend uh you know i guess shift work and things like that can can make you know the lifestyle tricky uh you know with ems and, and paramedicine and things like that so um, do you find that, uh, I guess, most of the, the people that you hang out with now, they work colleagues and friends, or how do you get the balance uh, between work and life? Um, not so much just now. It's kind of the last several years, if you all. It's the people I generally hang out with are very public safety oriented. Um, my wife and I hang out with her husband's best friend, or her, I'm sorry, her best friend's husband, is a cop for the city near I live in. Um, I hang out with a lot of really like-minded people, um, and I have for several years now. Um, it's primarily folks I've networked and became really good friends with 
in public safety overall that I hang out with. Um, I don't, I mean, healthcare, I'll include like some of the hospital staff, if you will, um, just from interacting with them, I keep contacts with them. Um, I don't really, I mean, I have friends from previous jobs that I, that don't do healthcare and they don't do police fire DMS. They just have an average job, if you will, that I still keep in contact with, but I would say a very large majority of my friends and stuff are public safety people. So Eric, uh, what do you personally consider to be the best part of the job? And um, then obviously the worst part of the job. Uh, the best part well I like getting on a good note so I guess I'll get the worst part out of the way um I mean the worst part you, you have your obvious is I think it's you're dealing with the family who just either they lost somebody or it, it wasn't the outcome you wanted um and the example I'll use is you get some families with um stroke patients for example everything's fine all of a sudden their family, their loved one's not so fine and they still have a hard time understanding why dad or why grandma or why whoever is having sort of speech, why they can't move their left arm, why they can't walk. Um, I, I think the worst part of it is a combination of the obviouses of the death, the trauma, um, but it's also the family's inability to understand even your best efforts to explain what's going on. The best part on the flip side is I think it's emergency medicine, at least from the pre-hospital standpoint is there's not a lot of situations, but there are some situations where we can have a truly positive outcome, whether it's, the one in 10 chance that we resuscitate somebody and the family gets another day with them um, or to see them walk out. Cause I've had that happen as well. Or it's the family member who diabetics, for example, you wake them up when they're not used to them saying unresponsive and you wake them up and you see the families, you're awake. Thank you. Um, and I think it's being able to explain on a level that a lot of these families can understand. It, kind of a analogy I learned a long time ago with the fire department was KISS, and it's keep, keep it simple, stupid. I, and it's kind of how I talk to the families that I'm dealing with and try and keep it on a very simple level that the average person can understand. Not the medical person, not whatever. I, I try and keep it on their level from the person who's not going to understand what's going on with mom, dad, brother, son, whatever the case is, and explain what's going to happen next so they're not surprised. Um, and to see kind of be able to help them through that process, whether it's a critical patient or not, so they know what's going on and they feel a little bit more comfortable with what's going on. That for me is kind of the best end of things. Uh, awesome. Um, and so rewarding. Yeah. It's a wholesome way to look at it, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think hospitals and facilities in general, and it's not 
wronging them. I just think the communication aspect of things, especially like, and I don't know how you guys are, are over there. I know the hospitals over here are pretty overwhelmed. Just COVID in reality, a lot of sick patients that held off because of COVID, the communication gets dropped between the nurse or the doc and the family and the patient. So to kind of explain that medium, that middle process, like, hey, here's why you're going home or here's why you're going to the nursing home or here's why you're going to a better hospital that can do more services for you um and to just kind of see the family like yeah that was never explained to us thank you so much um that kind of in itself is rewarding awesome um all right uh one final question then uh going if you could go back in time 18 years and see the eager young volunteer firefighter what would you what would you want to say to him what advice would you want to give him i don't know i have such a hard time with that i don't know that i would change anything i've done um i it's a really thankless line of work it always has been it always will be there are some people um, who are very appreciative of what this line of work does, what police do, what police do, what fire does. Um, it, in general, it's a very thankful sign of work. A handful of people are very appreciative. I love what I do. Um, I, I got out of EMS itself for a little bit, and then I kind of had that itch to come back, and clearly I loved it enough to go back for medic school. Um, I don't know that I would truly change anything. I've met phenomenal people along the way. The pay has always sucked and it will always suck for EMS. I've accepted that. Um, but I love the line of work. I, I love the people. I love the other first responders I work with. It, it's, it, for me, it's what I'm going to do till I kick over dead one day and who knows how many years. So. I think that's cool. great, mate. It's uh, it's nice to hear that much passion. I guess you know, as yeah, a, definitely. As a podcast and and students ourselves, it's um, you know, it's reassuring to know that that there's that level of passion still out and about. And the one thing I will say for you guys, because I know John, you were saying you're both students who're doing this as your research. Um, I, it's kudos to you guys. In reality, I, it's I've been doing it long enough. I've gotten to see when there was some motivation from people it kind of were at least in the states where we're at now there's no motivation we have no help coming in behind us in terms of new recruits new hires new the company i work for for example we we offered a program and we're continuing it but we will hire brand new people off the street with no pre-hospital service like bob Joe Bob from the gas station who wants to go into EMS, we're offering them free training. And the reality is there's not enough people coming into this line of work to replace the people that are in it now and the people that are leaving. Um, So like for you guys, kudos to you guys for coming into it, continuing with the education and kind of continuing to push forward because it's not there over here. So I, Personal note, thank you guys for doing that. Um, thank you for doing the research that you're doing, obviously, because you guys are kind of reaching out to people nationwide and global. 
Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and having a chat. And um, I think there's some really good advice in there uh, for for all of us um, in terms of, you know, things to take away from the job and things to be aware of on the job. And um, hopefully we can just all emulate that passion that you have. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Pleasure to meet you, Eric. Thanks very much, mate. Thanks for listening. You can find more great content on our website, paramedics.org. Got any feedback for the show or wanting more information? You can also find us by searching Student Paramedics Australasia on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and be sure to tune in for our next episode.